0: So good to be with you again church. We're so thankful to be back at Beacon Baptist Church and we praise the Lord for a wonderful day yesterday. I can't tell you the number of people I had that said we have been praying for this and I want to tell you it was evident and the Lord answered many prayers yesterday and we rejoice in that and uh, thank you for pastor for allowing us to be here. We love coming to Beacon. Always a joy to be with you folks and uh, the music this morning was wonderful wasn't it and pointed our attention to the Lord. Thank you choir and orchestra and all that played a part and I love hearing teens sing, don't you? And uh, to hear them sing about the Lord. We had a couple specials yesterday that the teens did, and it was just wonderful. And so thank you for being here this morning. We're excited uh, to be in the Lord's house. Revelation chapter 2, you have your Bible there. Church, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, the Lord begins an evaluation of seven different churches. Interestingly enough, he says a phrase in each one of these churches as he's evaluating them. Notice, if you will, again, verse number 2, he says, I know thy works. He would say this of all seven of these churches. And by the way, this morning, it wouldn't hurt us to be reminded that the Lord knows our works, doesn't he? Uh, He knows where we've been this week. He knows the faults and the words and the things that we've done. I know thy works. And as the Lord begins to evaluate these churches, he commends them for things they've done well. and, And begins to reprove them and rebuke them for areas that they need to improve in. The Lord knows our works. He sees all. In fact, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. I remember the day that I felt like my grandmother's eyes were in every place. And you ever been down that road before? uh, My uh, dad and my mom live on about a mile of dirt road. And uh, you know, when you do that, you can get away with some things that you can't when you live around a lot of people. And and so growing up, I learned how to drive uh, before I could legally drive, if, if we could say it that way. And so I would drive on the dirt road and, you know, dad and mom were teaching me. And I remember I was up at my grandmother's house. We call her granny. Uh, she is a Southern granny. If you looked up the word in the dictionary, you'd find her picture. I'm telling you. And uh, I, I was back in the truck up and a thought that I had pl- plenty of space to uh, perform this backup maneuver that I hadn't quite conquered yet, you know, and I just happened to just bump her minivan. And I thought, well, that wasn't too bad. The airbags didn't go off, you know, and it didn't turn over or anything. And I thought, well, you know, that if nobody knows, it's not going to hurt anybody, you know, after all. And so I went on about my way. Come to find out, my grandmother had been standing in the window watching the whole thing unfold. And so I would later hear from Granny and be questioned as to why I bumped her minivan. Now, I'm going to tell you, Granny's eyes weren't in every place, though I felt like they were. But the Lord's eyes are, aren't they? This church in Ephesus church is an interesting church. They tell us that the town of Ephesus, it was in the Roman Empire here in the province of Asia, probably grew to something like 250,000 people. It's a large town. Now you folks down here, there's a lot of large towns where I come from. That's a big place. 250,000 people. It was a port town. One of the things that this town was known for was the Temple of Diana. You ever heard that or seen pictures of it before? It was this amazing temple that was built. They say it was something, for, something like 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, with 120 columns that went throughout this temple. It was dedicated to pagan worship. Another thing that Ephesus was known for, this town, was for uh, magic. They had a love for magic, but not illusions and trickery, but demonic activity, and, and they kind of adored and worshipped that idea. Interestingly enough, the author of this book, John, Uh, This is the church, as he's sitting on the Isle of Patmos writing this book, this is the church that he's closest to in a couple of different ways. Geographically, from that island where he's writing, this is the closest church to where he sits. But not just that, I think John was endeared to this church in some ways. They tell us, his history does, that during the latter years of the Apostle John's life, He had spent years ministering at this church in Ephesus. And so you can imagine churches, he's writing what the Lord is inspiring him and and giving him to write through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's no doubt thinking of people in this church. He knows the faces. He knows the people where they sat. He knew the music. He, He knew how they ministered. You know who else was close to this church? The Apostle Paul was, wasn't he? They say that between Paul's second and third missionary journeys, he had spent something like nearly three years in this church. There were people in this church that Paul had won. He had written a book of the Bible to encourage these people and to stir them. This church at Ephesus, we'll find out in just a minute, a church this morning was a very good church. In fact, if you'd invited me to the church in Ephesus, I would have gladly gone. I've been happy to preach there, pastor, happy to go there. This was a good church by all outward means. And yet in verse number four, the Lord tells us that they lacked one thing. To you see that? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, church, this thing that they lacked was not something you could see externally you could have gone to this church and you may have never known this. They, They were still serving. They were still busy. They were still doing a lot of things and yet they had kind of lost the proper motivation for the works they were doing. It wasn't that the works were lacking, but the motivation was for why they were doing them. Church, it reminds me this morning, when I think about Beacon Baptist Church, this is an amazing church, Pastor, and we give the Lord glory for that, no doubt. And I I love coming to this place, and souls are saved, and people are growing, and and the music is wonderful, and there's a good youth group, and all those things. And externally, everything is wonderful. But, Church, I'm always reminded that why I can dress up, and I can be in the right place and say the right thing, internally, things can be arrived. And sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong reason, don't we? And I want us to look this morning, church, at three steps in Christ's evaluation of a church that had left its love. And just challenge you again this morning. And I hope maybe this morning that your heart is just madly in love with Jesus. But I just know myself and I know people. And sometimes we can be in the right place and we're not away from the Lord. But internally we've lost our love for the Lord. And I hope the Lord will stir us this morning. Notice, first of all, this morning Jesus gives them a strong commendation. A strong commendation. Notice he commends this church. Aren't you thankful we have a God that notices when we're busy serving Him and pleasing Him? And and He even rewards faithful service, doesn't He? There are crowns awaiting us in heaven. He's not just a God of judgment, a God that that, that comes down on us. He's a God who notices when we're serving Him and rewards and honors that. Notice what he commends this church for. Notice again verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor. Notice, church, he commends them for being a laboring church. Notice again, verse 3, he says, And it has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake, has to labor. Church, this was a busy church. They were busy laboring for the Lord, working, seeking to win the lost. By the way, if they were listening to Paul in the book of Ephesians, they were just following what he had told them to do. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus in the good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know, the verses before that Christ, uh, excuse me, Paul had clarified, salvation is not by works, is it? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. I want to say this morning, if you came to Beacon Baptist Church and you're trying to earn salvation through pleasing God by coming to church or, or, or being baptized or saying prayer, salvation doesn't work that way. It is the gift of God. But after we're saved, while we're not saved by works, we are saved to work, to get busy serving the Lord. And so Paul told them, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You know, church, the work of the Lord in a church that is serving the Lord, it ought to be a busy place. Pastor and I were talking just a moment ago, and I was asking him how the church was doing, and he was telling about what's been going on. It's been a busy summer, hasn't it? VBS and Teen Extreme and all those events. We, there were announcements today about things that are upcoming. There's much to do in the work of the Lord, isn't there? We are His laborers. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 is a wonderful call and a reminder that we're to be busy serving the Lord. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable Men. So the Lord looks at this church and he says, you're a laboring church. And I commend you for that. Notice the second thing he commended this church for. Notice again, verse two, I know thy works, thy labor and thy patience. Again, verse three, and it's born and has patience. This was a long suffering church. This was a church that didn't judge people as soon as they walked in the door. If they didn't fit the mold or, or, or they weren't exactly what they were looking for, would run them off. No, this was a church that was long-suffering. They, they waited for people to change. They waited for the Lord to move. They were patient. They had patience in, 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 their, in their ministry. And by the way, this is just a reflection of what God is to us. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slightness, but is long-suffering. Anybody in the room this morning thankful that God is patient with you? I mean, my goodness. And this is a church that, have you figured out, they had figured this out, that people work must be patient work. Sometimes people don't come the first time you invite them. Sometimes people don't get saved the first service or the first time they get the gospel. And so they were patiently working with people and growing people and growing the church and waiting on the Lord. This was a long-suffering church. Notice the third thing that he commends them for. He says, I know your labor and your patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how, how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles that are not, and has found them liars. I would like to say it this way this morning. This was a loyal church. This was a church, Pastor, their doctrine didn't change as the times changed. They just stood up and preached the word of God. In fact, what that verse just said is you had people, they tried to come in your church and promote a false doctrine or, or, or make it relevant to society, if you will, and you said, we want nothing to do with that. In fact, skip on down, if you will. This is kind of a puzzling verse. Notice Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6. We were reading this moment uh, just ago as a congregation. I thought, boy, this is a word right here that may be a little bit of a struggle. Notice this word we come to, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How could it be a good good thing? God would commend these people for for hating the the deeds that these people did. Well, it's interesting to study church. Not much is known about these Nicolaitan people here. But some surmise that they are synonymous with Balaamites. What we do know about these group of people is that they would come into churches, they would come in and try to subvert and try to pervert doctrine and, and try to stir up trouble and hurt the work of the ministry that was going forward. But when they came into this church in Ephesus, the people said, we don't want anything to do with that. In fact, one early church leader, he said this. He said, but I have learned that certain people, talking about this church, have passed your way with evil doctrine, but you did not allow them to sow it among you. You covered up your ears in order to avoid receiving the things being sown by them. Now, I'll be honest, we have four kids, and so when I thought about that, I thought about this is what kids do. You know, little Caleb, he's our oldest, and he'll come, and he'll want to tell Evelyn something, our, our only little girl. And if she don't want to listen to you, you know what she'll do? She'll, she'll cover her ears up, right? still so put her fingers in. I can't hear you. I'm not listening. Well, in a, in a similar way, what this early church leader said, when the Ephesian believers saw someone coming in who was going to say, you know what? Jesus isn't the only way, or the Bible's not really the word of God or what the Bible says is not relevant to our day. Boy, when those things came in, what he said is, listen, you just covered up your ears. You didn't want anything to do with that. You you didn't want to hear that false doctrine. Church, this was a good church. By the way, Paul had set them straight on the doctrine of salvation and other things. And he had told them to be careful that they weren't tossed about to and fro with every wind of doctrine. They were to be uh, careful that uh, they just speak the truth in love and, and stick by the truth. This was a loyal church. They were loyal to the word of God. They were loyal to God. Notice another commendation he gives them. He commends them for being laboring and long-suffering and loyal. I mean, they were sticking to the word of God and to what was true. But notice, thirdly, they were a loving church. Notice verse number three, and we find these words, and hast borne." What does that mean? Well, the phrase there has to do with burying or carrying a relatively heavy or burdensome object. This was a church, when you walked in, people wanted to help you. It's a good place to be, isn't it? When you walk in and you have burdens and the people say, How can we pray for you, or how can we help you? This is a church. They walked across the aisle, and when someone was going through a hard time, they said, Listen, sister, I know you're struggling, but I'm praying for you. And I just want you to know I'm lifting you up. And anything I can do for you, boy, they were a loving church. They carried one another's burdens. By the way, Paul had told them to do that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearance. Bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. Boy, church ought to be a loving place, isn't it? People come in the door, visitors come in the door, they feel love, they feel welcome. This was a loving church. Notice the final thing that he commends them for, the verse 3 again. You've borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. This was a lasting church. This is a church that didn't just blow up, and then when times got tough, it disappeared. No, they had endured. They'd been faithful. They'd known good times and bad times and and prosperity times and times that were more difficult, and yet they just stayed. They just stayed faithful. Listen, church, this is a church I'd go to. Do you see that? This is a church I'd visit. This is a church I'd be happy to preach in as a wonderful church. The Lord gives them a strong commendation. But notice, secondly, in his evaluation of this church, he gives them a serious condemnation. So he commends them for what they're doing right, and then he charges them for what they've done wrong. Notice this condemnation the Lord brings against them. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now be honest, church, when I was preaching and studying for this message, I, I wanted to title it a church that lost its love. It just sounds more natural, I guess, in our language and in our fault. But it's not the right word. It's not the Bible word. There's a difference between losing something and leaving something. Now, all of us have lost things before. I say this once you have kids, it's a wonder you don't lose everything, including your mind. You know, I mean, you just lose things all the time. But you know, typically when we lose things, we do it by accident. You don't purposefully misplace your phone or your car keys or or your wallet or those things. Generally, we do it by accident. But when we leave something, that's a purposeful decision, isn't it? You'll walk out the doors in and, and just a moment and, and go your separate ways and we'll feast and, and enjoy our afternoon. But it's not an accident that you do that. You make a decision. When the Bible says here, church, that they left their, their love, the word here means to cease, to stop. In fact, the idea is carried so far, the word literally means it carries the idea of a husband divorcing his wife, leaving his wife. There is a purposeful decision. There's been a separation here. So it's not correct to say we lose our love. That would happen by accident. What had happened in this church is they had made purposeful decisions that had led them away from the love they had once had for the Lord. What were those decisions? What was the process? I tell you, church, in Revelation chapter 2 here, we don't have the exact details of how this had happened and the decisions that had been made and what had caused them to leave their love. But I would like you to take your Bible to the book of Jeremiah this morning for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 2, and we find here a similar statement about love, first love. By the way, that word first there, we like to be in first place, don't we? It is you know, what comes before everything else, what is most important to us. And when, it, when the Bible speaks here of our first love, it is talking about what we love the most. What we love before anything else. Reminds me of Jesus when he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? We don't know what these Meant, was it, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than the disciples? Do you love me more than the other disciples? You know, it really doesn't matter because Jesus was just asking, Peter, do you love me the most? (laughs) Do you love me above everything else? Notice Jeremiah chapter 2, if you will. And I want you to see a passage here. Jeremiah chapter 2, and notice verse number 1 and 2. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. You remember you folks that are married when you got engaged, don't you? Isn't that a happy time? You're looking forward to being married. You're, you're, you're answering a, a thousand questions about the wedding, you know, and all those things. There's this excitement. There's this new love that, that you found in someone. And what the Lord is saying, I remember. I remember, Israel, when you had that love, that passion for me, when I was number one above everything else. But something changed, and what changed? I want you to notice verse number 13, if you will. Skip on down, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and the Lord spells it out for us very clearly how our love for the Lord is left. Notice, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I want to explain to you what the Lord said here and how this has played out in our lives. First of all, church, we leave our love when we lose our walk. We leave our love when we lose our walk. You know what he said, Israel, listen, you used to fellowship with me and you loved me and you worshiped me. And somewhere along the line, you lost that. You left that. You stopped your worship. You you, you left me. You moved away from the fountain of living waters is what he says. You realize, church, one of the greatest privileges Uh, Being alive is the fact that we get to walk with God. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. God created the first two people, Adam and Eve, and you know what he did? He walked with them. He came down and fellowship with them. Aren't you thankful this morning? We have a God who's personal, he's intimate. He wants to be in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your family, a a part of your life. And So what happens often is after we get saved, we have this fresh love. Don't we, boy, we're excited. Our sins are forgiven. We have a home in heaven. By the way, if you've never known that fresh love or that peace, you can know that today. But but we're in love with the Lord. We're excited about all things. and We want to read our Bible and come to church and pray. And somewhere along the line, we begin to lose that. We lose that passion to be in his word. You know how we walk with God? Boy, this is simple. I, I, I don't know, a few weeks ago I was, I was teaching some kids and the Lord kind of hit me with that. If I, if I were to ask pastor, hey, let's, can we walk around the property here and, and pastor and I were to walk together, you know what we're going to do, church? We're going to talk. He's going to talk to me and I'm going to talk to him. That's how you walk. I mean, there's a physical aspect to this, but, but really what we're doing is we're walking together. We're talking back and forth. You know how you walk with God, church? It's, boy, it's this simple, isn't it? God talks to you. And you talk to God, you pray, you seek his face, and he speaks to you. That's what the Lord is speaking of when he comes to walking. Church relationships are built on communication, aren't they? I was getting to know my wife, she wasn't my wife at that time, and the way you get to know one another is you communicate. By the way, after you get married, you still have to communicate. You stop communicating, your relationship falls apart, doesn't it? It's amazing to me, and some of you have experienced this, and so I want to be sensitive to that this morning, but two people can fall in love... And, and there's no wrong in them, and, and they get married and excited to spend the rest of their lives together. Somewhere down the road, they start hating one another's guts and fighting over everything. What happened? Well, they stopped walking together. They lost their communication. They lost their fellowship, and when you do that, you lose your love. Listen, here's what happened to these people. Here's what happens to us. The truth is, church, we can stay in church and be serving and not be walking with the Lord. We can look good, we can look departed, maybe not be living in sin, and yet we're not walking with Jesus. We have no relationship with Him, no fellowship with Him. The truth is that we walk like who we walk with, don't we? Your walk affects your life. And so here's a group of people that, yes, they're doing the church thing. They're hosting the conferences, and and they're seeing people saved in those things, but they've lost their personal love for the Lord. They've lost their walk. Notice the second thing they had done. We leave our love when we lose our walk. Secondly, we leave our love when we love the world. He says to this, did you notice verse 13 again, Jeremiah chapter 2? He says, not only have you left me, but you've tried other things. You've hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns which can hold no water. In other words, listen, what I used to do for you, the love that you used to have for me, you've tried to cast that love on other things, and what you've found is they can't give you what God can give you. By the way, church, can I tell you that peace and contentment and fulfillment and true joy is found in no other place than Jesus Christ. Money won't do it relationships don't do it pleasures of the world don't do it isn't that why Jesus said love not the world neither the things that are in the world for all that's in the world the love uh, is going to pass away if any man has the love of the world he doesn't have the love of the father in him think about it here's a people who they would fallen out of love with Jesus and fallen in love with the world church I want you to think this morning how is it that that happens to God's people how is that that it happens to me but we have a good God don't we He's done so much for us. He's blessed it. How is it that in my life so many times I struggle to love him because I love other things that are, are so worthless, things that don't matter? How is it that we leave the giver of our redemption for fun and recreation? We've forgotten who God is. We've left the close communion and fellowship and worship that once we had with the Lord, our longing to please him is overcome by our longing to please and indulge our flesh. Think about it, church, this morning. There's a difference between knowing and loving, isn't there? I may have shared the illustration before with you, but I'll do it again. There was a a diamond owner who advertised a a very precious diamond that he had, and a man came from many, many miles away to buy it. He walked into the diamond store, and the diamond salesman walked up and began describing the diamond, the cut, the clarity, all those scenes that you ladies know so well. Okay, And and, uh, he was describing the diamond, and before too long, the man that had come all these miles, he stood up and started walking out the door without buying the diamond. Well, the owner of the diamond, he noticed what was going on, and so he quickly approached the man. He said, listen, could you, you've come this far. Could you give me just a moment to talk to you about this diamond? And so the owner of the diamond began describing how precious it was and how he admired it and, and, and loved this diamond. And in just a few moments, the man was signing the paper and turning over the money to buy the diamond. Before he walked out of the door, the now owner of the diamond asked the man who had sold him the diamond, what just happened? I mean, your salesman was describing to me all these great characteristics of the diamond, and I wasn't interested, but you told me how you loved it, and you cared for it, and you admired it, and man, I just fell in love with it. I had to have it. What happened? And the owner of the diamond store who had sold the diamond, he said, well, he said, you see my salesman back there, he's a very knowledgeable man. He knows more about diamonds than probably anyone in this store, and because of that, I pay him very well, but I would pay him much more if he had what I had. He said this, and watch this, church. He said, he knows diamonds, but I love them. Church, I want to say this morning, it's a good church, and I would say most of us in the room, maybe this morning, we know God. But do we love him? There's a difference, isn't there? You can have your head filled with facts and know all the doctrine, all those things, but, boy, we're in a relationship here, church. Do we love the Lord? Have we left our love for the Lord because we've lost our walk? Or we've fallen in love with other things. Notice the third step in this evaluation. He gives them a strong commendation. He commends them. And then he gives them a serious condemnation here, a charge, if you will. He brings something against them. But notice thirdly, and we'll finish here this morning, he gives them the steps of correction. You know, I want to say this, church. I'm so thankful that the Word of God does not just tell us where we're wrong. It tells us how to get right. I tell you, you may have walked into Beacon Baptist Church this morning and your marriage is in a mess, or your home is in a mess, or your kids are in a mess, or your life is in a mess, and there's things going on in your heart and life right now, and you wonder, is there hope? Is there any way? Can I just tell you, the Bible is the answer. Jesus is the answer, and there's hope for you this morning. And yes... The Bible does tell us that we're sinners and our sin separates us from God and there are consequences certainly for our sin. But I'm thankful that we have a God of second chances, a a God of forgiveness, a a God who redeems our mistakes and can put us on the right road. Notice these steps of correction. Notice verse number 5 back in Revelation chapter 2. Notice the word he tells us here, remember. Remember. Church, we got to remember. One gentleman said this, the solution is found in retracing our steps back to where we went astray and calling upon the Lord as we did it first. Church, I challenged you a minute ago, do you remember when you got saved? you remember when you got saved? June seventh, two 2005, I was at the Wilds Christian Camp. I had grown up in church. It has stirred my heart to think, church, I don't ever remember a time that I did not know the gospel. And I have preached to people in their 50s and 60s and 70s that for the very first time are hearing the gospel. But I never remember a time not knowing the gospel. I, I knew the gospel my, my whole life, and, but I struggled with peace of my salvation. I would lay in bed at night and wonder, am I going to go to hell? Am I truly saved? Have I done enough? And finally, June seventh, two 2005, the Lord showed me there's nothing that I could do that would be enough, but he had already done it. You see, my righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins, he died for mine. And the God who looked upon his son placed the sin of the world upon him and accepted his atonement, his sacrifice, and through his resurrection, I understood. Listen, Ethan, if you want to be saved, you've got to take your trust from yourself and put it on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so I remember on June 7, 2005, placing my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. It was no longer about what I needed to do or what I needed to say or or how spiritual I needed to be. I realized Jesus and Jesus alone can save me. And I remember, church, putting my faith in Christ was like taking a weight off of my back and off of my soul and putting it on Jesus and my burdens rolled away at Calvary. But I remember that moment. I was just relieved. There was a peace in my heart that I had never known. I remember coming to my parents and and just being emotional and telling them, Dad, Mom, I know that I'm saved. I remember that. Church, sometimes it's good to go back and remember, isn't it? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, remember when you used to be in love with Him and you were passionate about Jesus and all the good things that He's done in your life. Remember. Notice verse 5 again. He says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Sometimes we have to remember why it is that we left, why it is that's led us astray, what it is that has stolen our love or taken our walk from the Lord. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And here's the next word, repent. Repent. Church, is amazing in our day to day. Some people view this word repent as an old fashioned word. I view it as a Bible word. It's a Bible word. It's all throughout the Bible, cover to cover. The word repent is to change one's life, to change one's thinking, to change our direction. I'm headed in a direction that's not a right and not leading me to love the Lord the way that I ought. Something is causing me to not love Jesus the way that I ought, and so I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to turn to a new direction. I've said recently repentance is a U-turn. U-turn from whatever it is that's causing us to go astray and turn back to the Lord. Notice if you're in Revelation chapter 2, notice Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. Jesus is dealing with that lukewarm church, the church in Laodicea. Boy, they've got their own problems, don't they? They're prideful and all those things, but notice his advice to them. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous. Therefore, here's our word again, and repent, turn, change, don't be the same. So remember, repent, and then notice again Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. In other words, return. Go back to your love for the Lord. Go go back to that fresh, salvation-engaged love that you used to have for Jesus. Fall in love with Him all over again. Isn't it amazing in Revelation chapter 3? He tells us in verse 19, repent. And then in verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and he'll sup with him. And he with me, aren't you thankful this morning, that although we may be away from the Lord, he knocks at our heart's door and says, I want fellowship. I want restoration. I want you to be right. I want you to return. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 1. Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let, him, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him And our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Aren't you thankful, church? No matter where you are, you may have walked in the doors as far away from Jesus as you can be, and you can walk out as close as you could be. Return. Get right. Repent. When I think about Beacon Baptist Church, I think this is an amazing church. We go to a lot of churches. We see a lot of different things. This is a precious place, church. You may not always understand that, But I think most of you know, God has been at work here for a long time. People are getting saved. Missions are supporting. God is stirring people up. Church, can I just beg and implore you, keep doing what you're doing. Keep laboring. Keep being long-suffering. Keep keep loving. Keep keep, uh, doing the VBS and and spending money on teenagers and investing in the next generation. But while you're doing all of that, be careful that you don't leave your first love. J. Edwin Orr was an old preacher. He's an evangelist. They say he ministered in 150 different countries. I can't imagine that. We travel, but not like that, 150 different countries. And One time he was ministering in the country of New Zealand and he heard a song being sung in the native language and he picked up the tune, but of course he didn't know the words. You ever done that before? You know the, you know the tune, but you can't know the words. And, and, and so finally he began to put some words to the tune. He began to write them down on a piece of paper and these were the words he wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise Thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill Thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire, where once I burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify Thy name. Lord, take my life and make it wholly Thine. Fill my poor heart with Thy great love Divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender. Lord, in me abide. The last verse I love, O oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival, start the work in me. Thy word declares thou wilt supply our need for blessings now, O oh Lord. I humbly plead. Boy, that's the psalmist cry, isn't it? Search me, O oh God, know my heart. Listen, not not my outward deeds or what I do, know my heart today. Church, can I remind us the Lord knows our works, He knows our hearts today. And my question is not, are you in church? That's pretty obvious. Or not, are you busy serving and all those things? But have you left your love for the Lord? J. Edwin Orr, that famous preacher, the one I was just mentioning, wrote that song. He was at a seminary one day, and he was preaching. And after preaching, the young men began to come up to him, and they were asking him questions. And one of them had a great heart for revival. He said, Dr. Orr, I want to see revival happen. I want the Lord to stir and people to be in love with Jesus and all those things and a great movement of the Lord. He said, besides praying for revival, Dr. Orr, what else could I do to help it come about? Dr. Orr didn't have to think. He didn't pause for long. He said, there is one thing. He said this. He said, you can let it begin with you. What a thought. Church this morning, God knows our works. He knows our hearts. Maybe it is this morning that our bodies are where they should be. We're serving the Lord, but our heart isn't. May it may be true about us that we've not left our first love. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, thank you for a reminder. I'm always stirred. I'm always challenged that you know my heart this morning. You not only know what we do, but you know why we do it. And it matters, Lord. Maybe it is this morning that while we're serving and busy, we've got the wrong motivation. Maybe it is this morning, Father, we're not walking with you in the way that we ought and We've fallen in love with the things of the world. Lord, and this world is so appealing and can still our love so quickly. Lord, maybe it is someone in the room this morning doesn't even know Jesus as their Savior. They can't remember back to that time because they've never had that time in their life. And I pray this morning, Father, you would show them that although we're sinners and deserve separation from God, Father, you're long-suffering and you're loving and you, Lord, call us to put our faith in you and you can forgive us and save us. Lord, help us today. Father, this is a good church. I love this church. Lord, I'm thankful for Beacon Baptist Church. But the truth is that in the midst of all our working and laboring and busyness, we can leave our love, our first love. Lord, help us to love you above all else. Do business with our hearts this morning. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'll ask you just a few questions this morning so I can know how to pray for you. First of all, do you know that you're saved? Whether this is your first time ever attending Beacon Baptist Church or you've been here for many, many years, do you know that you're saved? Do you have peace in your heart this morning about that? If I were to come to you and ask you, if you say, Yeah, preacher, and I were to ask you, Can you tell me how? Tell me when. How do you know? Would you have an answer this morning? Can I tell you, if you don't know the peace of God in your hearts, that you'll spend all of eternity in heaven, you can know that today. <laughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you're in the room this morning and you say, You know what, preacher, you don't know me, don't embarrass me, please. But this morning, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't have that peace and assurance in my heart. I've never had that joy of the Lord. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. Preacher, this morning, if I'm just honest, I don't know that I'm saved. Would you at least pray for me this morning? Remember me as you pray. I'd love to do that this morning. Any room, anyone in the room, and that's your heart, and you'd say pray for me, would you raise your hand this morning? Anyone like that? I'm looking left to right this morning. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Anyone else this morning? Say, so, you know what, preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know. In just a moment, during our time of invitation, I invite you to come. We'll sit down and take a Bible. Before you walk out of these doors, we'll help you to know Jesus as your personal Savior. And then I ask you this this morning. I want to ask you to raise your hand. It's between you and the Lord. You're in the right place this morning. The Lord would commend you for that. Thank you for being in church this morning. You're being faithful to the Lord. Where's your heart this morning? Have you left your first love? Church, if that's us, in just a moment as we do business with the Lord, may we take time to seek His face and repent of that. And ask the Lord to help us get back in love with Him. Lord, we love you this morning. I pray for those that said preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. Lord, help them to come this morning. I pray that nothing in this world would keep them from receiving you as their personal Savior, knowing that peace and assurance that you bring. And then Lord, for us, that although although we're in the right place, Lord, our hearts may be far away from you. We've lost our love for you, Lord. When we love you, it fixes so many things in our life, Lord. So help us this morning. Lord, as we have a time of invitation, if you need us to kneel, may we kneel. If we Need to just do business with you right in our pew there, Lord. May we take time to do that today. Father, we love you. Have your will. Have your way in our hearts and lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.